Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower Henny. On today's podcast, we have an extra special guest with us today, Katie Welsh from the Women's Center for Advancement of Omaha is here. She is the legal director and she is going to be telling us a little bit about what the Women's Center for Advancement does, who they serve, what her role is, what we as a community can do to help the Women's Center, um, and just a little deep dive into some domestic violence issues as well. So thanks, Katie, for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Katie's also an extra special guest because we were just talking about how Katie and Susan sometimes are uh, mistaken for each other. <laughs> well, and and there's there's so much more to it because Katie and I have hung out together and some of the mutual people that we know feed into it. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's joking or if they really see it. But, um, you know, they say people have doppelgangers and people have said Katie and I are that of each other. But... Katie is very nice because she's like 15 years younger than me, probably. <laughs> so I, uh, <clears throat> you know, doppelgangers usually are, I think for the two of you, if you look at pictures of the two of you side by side, you can be mistaken for the same person. But now even in person, seeing the two of you, even even more so. Well, we both went to Creighton as well. Yes. Both philosophy majors. It's, so it really, it goes deeper than just oh, yeah. how we look on the surface. <laughs> Yeah, good. Kate, I do know one um, personal fact about Katie that very much distinguishes us in that she is. Did she, she give you permission to tell this? No. We're going to do it anyways. Katie has a dog and she loves, 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 loves her dog. And you don't and like dogs. I am not a dog person <laughs> is what I like to say. There and Katie is. is like the type of person she puts like cute pictures of her dog on Facebook and cute videos and that's true while I do that about my cats Katie does it for her dog so yeah. she is a dog person I'm a cat person so there that's yeah. how we distinguish yeah, that's, the two. Yes. that's the only distinguishing <laughs> with my dog you know it's Katie <laughs> <laughs> not Susan yeah very oh, good funny. and if I if she's with a cat it's Susan there's <laughs> your one thing perfect so. well tell us more about you Katie well thanks for thanks for having me yeah. um that's quite an introduction yes I am <laughs> Um, I am a dog mom. That's probably <laughs> at the top. But yeah, I'm um, the legal director at the Women's Center for Advancement. I've been at the WCA since 2016. Um, I feel really lucky to work with the team that I have there. Um, a lot of us are dog people okay. or, or animal people. I think <laughs> um, working on behalf of people who are in need and, and then loving animals can kind of go hand in hand. Yes. So, um People that don't have animals are just weird. I mean, let's Thank just you. put that out there. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm about I don't it. know. I mean, our producer's here, and I'm not sure. Are you? Do you have an animal? We want one. We can't have one. Legal. Okay. Mm. Okay. Oh. So he's, he's a future pet owner yeah. in the future. Everyone else here in the room has multiple animals that I know of. So, Do you get to have any pets at the WCA building? I wish. Um, <laughs> we used to do that, but... Um, we've had therapy dogs come around, you know, to, to help us out. But um, we all have pictures up right next to our. Yeah. If we have children, it's <laughs> right yeah. on the yeah. same level. 
um, we talk about them around the water cooler. So yeah, they're very much a presence. <laughs> And we were just before our podcast started talking about the WCA's building Mm -hmm. and how huge it is. And when you moved in there, I think everyone thought, whoa, they need that much space? And you're growing out of it already. Yes. uh, We were super lucky to get that space. Um, We the building we were in doesn't even exist anymore. But I think it was like a a fast food joint at one point. If you know your Omaha history. It was like right across from Romeo's. Yes, and Romeo's is gone now too. Also, that's, yes. Yeah, that was a bad reference, but um, <laughs> the building yeah. is still there. It's not. It's, it's not, not down. Oh yeah, they tore it all it's down. It's just grass. I oh, I thought I saw. Okay, my office taking over all of that. Yeah. Yes, they are. My office in that building was a closet, which I learned when we were moving out. So You're like, why are there no outlets in here? Why do I have to have an extension cord? Right. So when we moved into the building, I have this legit office with legit windows. And um, But yeah, we are very full. Um, we have lovely consultation rooms where our clients feel like everything that they can discuss is private, yet there's a lot of like natural light that comes in through the window, and especially during the winter, we all know how light kind of affects your yeah. mental health. So there's just it was designed with our clients' comfort in mind, um, given what they would be talking about with us. So we just feel really lucky to have gotten in there and then still be there, but we are bursting at the yeah. seams. So tell us about what are the programs that are inside the building, and why do you need all that space? <laughs> Uh, we have a lot of services at the WCA and I, the idea behind all of our services is that if you are leaving a traumatic situation, domestic violence, um, stalking, you need to be able to address a lot of needs in one place. We don't ask you to compartmentalize your trauma in order to receive services from us. So you may come into the WCA having left a difficult situation with nothing um, but a bag of clothes. We have clothing boutique, we have some pantry items, we have personal hygiene items for those individuals, but it goes even further than that. We have support groups, we have classes, we have crisis counseling services, we have legal services, which is where me and my team come in and we assist with divorce, custody, protection orders, and immigration related to survivors of domestic violence. We have advocates and case managers, um, and then we we just started a housing program in the last, um, a little over a year ago. So we really try to do everything that we can. Um, we are not a shelter. That's the one thing we don't offer under our roof, but we have relationships with all the shelters in town and anything that we don't provide directly we have we try to develop relationships to get our clients connected with those services. And so what does it look like when a potential client comes in? You know, what's kind of the is there a typical story that happens and how do they go through that process? Well, we try to pro- provide a lot of doors into our services. So we will do outreach calls, we get domestic violence police reports and we will just call out on those police reports to the victims and make sure um, that they are getting what they need or how can we be helpful to you in this difficult situation. We also do hospital calls. A lot of times we'll be called by um, you know, Methodists, for instance, and they will say, 
we have a survivor here who uh, has been offered your services and really wants to speak to somebody and we'll have an advocate go right out there in person. Um, and then we have a lot of walk-in traffic as well. Um, so our survivors will make up an excuse or some way to safely leave a dangerous situation and then just walk through our doors and we will instantly mobilize our advocates and um, whoever else that's needed to help them in their situation. Um, as we deal with a crisis situation, so as we're helping somebody apply for a protection order or we're meeting somebody who's at the hospital, um, we're instantly thinking of, okay, what else needs to happen here? Because the goal is is to get survivors out of this crisis mode situation and thinking about, okay, what does independence look like if I've just left this difficult situation? Um, it A lot of times those domestic violence situations are terrible and atrocious, but survivors make the best of it somehow, um, or they, they convince themselves of a lot of good reasons to stay. And so it's very difficult to conceive of your life outside of that. And so um, being able to provide that relationship piece, mm -hmm. either through working with an attorney or working with an advocate or a counselor is huge in terms of healing and then being able to visualize your life um, down the road by a month two months, a year, um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, independence may have been something that has been a long time or never, right, for these people. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Are the advocates, are they like therapists? Are they, what, what's their background? What's their, what does that look like? I would say a lot of our advocates are, um, have gone to school with some kind of social work emphasis. Okay. Um, we have um, probably half our staff identifies as survivors themselves, so they just have that lived experience of knowing what it's like. Um, I would say probably half our staff who provide direct service are bilingual um, in English and some other language. Um, so there's just a lot of um, talent, and then obviously you have to understand how important it is for us to be there and, mm -hmm. and help somebody and be able to mm -hmm. to do it every day. It's just really hard work, so. Do you have any statistics on how many people you help every year, every month? What does that look like? Um, I don't have our, our current numbers. Um, I would say um, I'm estimating here, um, but particularly as it relates to my team, um, Protection orders is a really big service um, that we're constantly trying to improve um, and potentially um, stretch ourselves out to help in, in more of them than, than we can. But I would say as a, as a whole organization, I would think that we probably touch about 50 protection orders every month. Mm. Um, our advocates assist with the paperwork, you know, will provide advice or even representation in some cases in those uh, protection order cases. Um, but it's it's hundreds hundreds of people um, each week, you know, that we're working with on protection orders, um, filing cases, responding to hospital calls, taking hotline calls. Um, we have a twenty four seven hotline, so um, especially in this day and age, you have to be able to either meet with people in person or just work with them over text or the phone um, on a really difficult situation. And, and especially in COVID, um, there's just so many of our clients that we hadn't even seen until um, going to court. 
um, because we work with them totally over the phone or text or email. Yeah. Do you, I didn't know um, about the outbound calls with the WCA. Do you mm. get a lot of people who respond to that? I mean, they answer the phone if yes. they, you've called from the police reports and, um, and the hospital calls? Yes. A lot of, we have a lot of folks respond to that. Um, it, it's however many reports are there. So however busy OPD has been, and I think they have been more busy with the, the domestic violence calls um, during covid um, but yeah, we do get a lot of response. I think police in many situations are really good at like, hey, um, you should you should call these folks um, and they'll hand out our card. So sometimes our clients are thinking of us even before we have a chance to reach out to them Yeah, because of um, police just always keeping us in their mind. And one of the things too is um, we had Megan Mosslander from Nebraska Legal Aid on our podcast. And one of their big things is they have an income eligibility. But tell us about that as it relates to the WCA. Yeah, that's Legal Aid does amazing work and they um, respond all over the state. We are primarily focused in Douglas County, but we have no income eligibility requirements. So whether you come from a family who makes um, 100000 a year or it's just you and your kids and you um, you don't make that, it, you're both treated the same. All of our services are free to our clients. The only eligibility requirements is that you identify as a survivor of domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, or stalking. So tell us about, you know, kind of the definition of domestic violence. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Netflix show Made <laughs> and um, what domestic violence looks like in that show and how it's portrayed in, on Netflix. But tell us about that in in maybe the legal sense and what you see from clients. Okay. Yeah. Twofold. Two, it is a twofold <laughs> yeah. question because I would say um, anybody who's in this space where they're working with survivors of domestic violence knows that it's all about power and control. It's about um, this abusive person who exerts power in some way, whether it be financial, emotional, physical, over their victim um, in order to control their behavior. Um, if you don't, if you don't do X, I will take the child from you. Um, if you don't do Y, um, I won't give you your allowance this month. Um, that is domestic violence, whether or not a punch is thrown or an object is thrown um, to make someone afraid. You know that 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 punch is going to be landed. Um, I think those um, emotional tactics are that actually the the injuries, so to speak, are much more long lasting than mm -hmm. kind of the physical injuries that you eventually heal from. So that is what I and all my colleagues at the WCA know to be domestic violence. That is not what the judges know to be domestic right. violence. No, correct. I I think the I think the legal system um, thinks of domestic violence in terms of physical injury, um, bodily injury. Marks on your body. Yep. Yeah. Property or damage, maybe. Property yeah. damage. Fear that that may happen. You know, the punch didn't land, but it landed next to my head. Like, the proximity was yeah. um, sufficiently close, and I have a picture of the wall behind me. Mm -hmm. um, in family law, I think there's a little more latitude to talk about domestic violence because we have this um, definition of DIPA, um, domestic intimate partner abuse. Um, but still, I think when you're 
talking about it in court, it is very difficult um, to talk about stalking. It's difficult yeah. to talk about emotional abuse and how that can really dictate your client's responses or behaviors in certain situations. Um, it, it's hard to help the court appreciate like that your client, this is still danger even if it's not physical. Right. We've, in our law firm, have had several instances of, you know, domestic violence that are physical, you know, sort of the, I'm using air quotes, easier cases to prove. And even when we have evidence, judges can be very reluctant to, you know, take custody away or require someone to move out of the home. And it becomes a very difficult uh, representation for us to have for our clients um, when the judges see some other avenue of, you know, oh, we'll call it a restraining order as opposed to a protection order, or um, they'll cool down, right, now mm -hmm. that they're not living together, things like that. Um, and I think that becomes really difficult to represent clients um, and telling them that that's just how the system is. And I think we see sometimes in those situations too where, and I think, most of the time it's pretty fair to say someone's not going to leave the first time they're not going to leave their abuser even the second time third time you know i mean it's usually many 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 times of the abuse happening before the person leaves and even when they leave maybe they don't stay apart from that person and then when they have even if they have all the pieces in place, they have an advocate from the WCA, they've got an attorney, they, they've got a court filing saying, you know, I'm gonna get divorced. And then things start to maybe not go, people are not recognizing what's happening, like a judge and saying like, oh, well, that's not that bad. And well, that can make that person feel not heard, that can make them feel like they're, you know, and I'll use air quotes, you know, crazy. And that's what mm -hmm. the abuser wants, right? They want them to feel like, you're making this up, it's all in your head, and things aren't that bad, and then you have a person in a position of power like a judge reaffirming that and saying like, well, that's not that bad. You don't need a protection order for that. Or you two can co-parent together. <laughs> and the other thing too is um, something that happens often is, well, you never called the police. You know, and not only does right. it take, is it on average six to seven times for the abuse to happen before you leave, you're also probably not calling the police every time or ever, right? And so then all of a sudden when we are seeing them in a divorce situation and we're trying to present this history of abuse through an affidavit, for example, and for the judge to um, you know, realize what this history of abuse has been, the judge's first question often is, well, you never called the police, did you? And it's really frustrating that you know, we're literally like calling this out right now mm -hmm. and judge you're not even taking it seriously yeah mm -hmm. i think the other thing that survivors are accused of a lot is oh you're just trying to get a protection order or you're just trying to get immigration relief um to gain some kind of upper hand or to um like everyone wants protection orders yeah like that's, it's a cool <laughs> yeah thing everyone have. loves to relive their trauma yeah. in a public setting yeah and, and let somebody else judge whether it was terrible right. or not um yeah so i think you know Oftentimes when you walk into these cases that are related and you talk about the protection order, like, you know, nobody really takes protection orders seriously, it seems. Um, and 
it's not just about gaining an upper hand. It's it's actually truly about keeping somebody safe, and it does work in many situations. Um, I realize it's just a piece of paper, but um, it's really beneficial, and it's often the first uh, access somebody or the first legal case that they're going to start to talk about right. um, or, or get get their needs, their safety needs addressed. So, And in past um, podcasts, we've talked about the repercussions of a protection order and how our law enforcement addresses them. And if someone has a protection order against their abuser and that abuser violates it, they're going to get arrested. They're not just going to go and get a ticket. And um, it is a crime to violate a protection order. It's not a crime to have a protection order against you, but if you violate it, it's, it, it's a crime. And it's a crime that is enhanceable up to a felony level if there's um, repeated instances of violation. So in that sense, I think our law enforcement and our prosecuting attorneys are looking at it more seriously than judges dealing maybe with the initial protection order and or custody issues and things that revolve around domestic violence, but that maybe are not, you know, so closely tied to the actual violence, so. I think that's true, but I think police see the same things that we see as advocates of survivors in domestic violence situations, which is that you know they're responding multiple times to the same address, sure. and and they they can get jaded too. But that's why it's important for us at the WCA to have these really good working relationships with OPD, so that we can get involved in their their officer training, or we can just be available. Um, to our clients and help them connect with a detective or something um, to get the right response in a situation because it, it's you don't it doesn't always happen right. Sure. Um, that first call to the police doesn't always get responded to or the response isn't appropriate considering the circumstances. But um, it's that that background work that we do yeah. to have relationships is just so meaningful. So the WCA is a five hundred one c three also known as a charitable organization under the IRS tax code. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us what the WCA needs and what people can do to help um, your organization. Yeah, as I mentioned, we have a clothing boutique. We have hygiene items that we put in these, what we call go bags um, that we just package up and send with clients who need them. We have like um, non-perishable pantry items Uh, to provide our clients during consultations. So right now, as it's um, frigidly cold, um, our biggest needs are just warm weather clothing, like um, mittens, hats, scarves, um, big jackets, and and that's for anybody, children, adults. um, The the coat could be for a man or a woman, um, but we would take any of those items. And then um, I think another thing that we like to constantly have stocked is those hygiene items. so toothpaste, toothbrush, uh, shampoo tampons, and conditioner, tampons. Pads, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of all of those like little hygiene items that aren't on the top of your mind when you're when you're leaving a situation, or they're just hard to to buy. I or mean, they're expensive. Yeah, very <laughs> expensive. So yeah. um, those things, I think, I would prioritize right now during this time of year more so than just regular clothes. Well, and in the show notes, we will have a link, too, for the Women's Center for Advancement, where you can donate money and have the information. I know that every time I have some clothes that, um, you know, are like maybe 
some business clothes, I like to donate them to the WCA because I think I'm, I think women come there and need some clothes for interviews and going to work and yeah, go to court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I, we're trying to get into this habit of just providing all kinds of clothes, like court appropriate clothes, but also, you know, workspaces are a lot more casual nowadays. So, you know, um, jeans are fine. All that um, is fine. But we have so many generous people in our city um, that our clothes, our storage space is just bursting (laughs) with clothes. But those um, cold weather items, we just can't keep in stock. The hygiene, we can't keep in stock right now. So good to know. Thanks, Katie, for sharing that. I I know some people make those go bags, you know, themselves and they have, you know, they they're 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 giving them to people they see out on the street, things like that. So I think that that's really something that people don't necessarily think about. Yeah. I mean, we started this conversation by saying we help people in crisis. Mm-hmm. They leave, they may not even have their purse, you know. What do they have? Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I'll say too, we also take um old cell phones. Um speaking of things oh. that you either don't take with you or you take it with you, but it's maybe not safe to have it with you because your abuser's tracking your location or um, has the password to your email account, which is also on your phone. Um, So if you're looking to get rid of old cell phones, we've taken those as donations before too, and we totally wipe the memory off. um, And we just set it up so that you can make an urgent call, you know, with with that phone, but um, that's that's also really helpful. Yeah, that's great. Well, this was awesome to have you here and learn more about the Women's Center for Advancement. I learned a lot. Um, I think it's really great to hear about the organizations in town that like, we know what the WCA does, but we don't really know. Yeah. Um, and all of the different programs is, is just outstanding. So thanks for having me. Thanks, Katie. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. And be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Ref Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.